You're listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. Uh, we, on the program, we've told you about why the ag side of the farm bill uh, fails farmers and uh, consumers and everybody else. Um, and we've talked about the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or food stamps in the farm bill. But on this episode, we're going to take a deeper dive into it and talk about what that program actually is, who uses it, and how uh, it's been one of the most effective um, anti-poverty programs in the United States. Um, joining me on the podcast is Katie Costello, uh, Program Associate at IATP. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. All right, so uh, let's start with our definition. What is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program? So the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program um, was designed to help low-income Americans um, stretch their food budget and um, afford the food that they need to feed their families. So uh, formerly known as food stamps, the program now allows participants to get about $125 a month in assistance, um, and they can use those benefits um, at any really any food retailer or any place that they would normally access food. Um, there are a couple of uh, rules when it comes to what food participants are allowed to purchase. Um, and of course, there's debate over whether or not those rules should be um, should be tightened or should there should be more restrictions placed on those benefits. But um, for now, it, it allows people to, as I said before, stretch their food budget when um, when times are tough. All right. So you had mentioned that um, you know what's uh, debatable is uh, what types of food people are allowed to purchase. Um, uh, you know, you hear that people shouldn't be allowed to buy soda pop, for example, and then there's this you know debate about whether the government should really be telling people what they can buy and what they can't buy, um, and uh, you know, there's a lot of room for debate, but there's also a lot of incentives and programs designed uh, for people to use um, the the SNAP program to buy healthy foods, right? Right, exactly. Um, so I know there, there's a program in Minnesota called Market Bucks. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, how, does, how does the SNAP program kind of work mm -hmm. in conjunction with other incentives for healthy eating? Sure. So you're exactly right. I think um, over the past several years, the focus has really been instead of um, more restrictions and more barriers, how can we incentivize people to make healthier choices as well as make healthier foods more widely uh, available and accessible? So um, one, one method has been to allow um, SNAP benefits to be used at farmer's markets and when that happens, when someone, let's say they purchase um, $5 worth of fresh produce at their farmer's market, many, many states have a program, like you mentioned here in Minnesota, ours is called Market Bucks. Um, that's a matching program. So participants uh, will get a $5 match, um, $5 extra to use to purchase, again, fresh fruits and vegetables. So the idea is that instead of imposing more restrictions and um, making it harder for people to access food, let's make it easier and let's incentivize the healthy types of food instead of, um, you know, you can't, you, you don't have a market bucks program to, um, to incentivize the purchase of sodas. 
Right. And, and it kind of works in conjunction with the work that you're doing in schools too, right? Where you've got kids on free and reduced lunch and you expose them to greater fruits and vegetables and that's going to set up a lifetime of healthy eating. Um, and I think that that kind of works in conjunction, right? Right. We certainly hope so. And part of the work that we do with our Head Start partners is uh, this piece around family engagement. And so um, Head Starts are really great about this. They already engage uh, parents and caregivers in a lot of different ways and they're um, they're, they're very intentional about that. And so we try to capitalize on that, uh, that partnership and that, that connection that's already there with families. And so we try to um, not only give families information about where they can buy these healthy foods that are also local, but it turns into a benefit for the farmers as well, because they're not only selling to the early care center, but then um, the idea and the hope is that those parents um, are finding out about a local resource to buy food that they may not have even known about. All right, so before we jump into the Farm Bill, um, just paint a picture for me of who's actually using this program right now. Sure. So according to the USDA, during the fiscal year of 2014, uh, over 46 million people participated in the SNAP program. And about two-thirds of those are children or disabled people or elderly. So it's really, when you think about it, it, this is not a small program and it is certainly not, um, you know, it, if, this, if there were changes to the program, it would have a big impact on a lot of Americans. So despite the fact that there's more than 40 million people that are using SNAP, um, there are a lot of people who are eligible that um, either don't know about the program or are unwilling um, to enroll. Um, Talk about some of the issues people have uh, with uh, getting SNAP benefits. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think um, probably the most important and um, the biggest reason why people don't enroll is that there is a stigma around receiving government assistance. Um, you know, people, especially I think for people who are working hard to make ends meet and they just, for whatever reason, there is that gap and they need to apply for assistance. Um, you know, there's a real, there's a real shame there in whether it's feeling like they can't provide for their families or asking, feeling like they're asking for a handout. One thing I think that's common is um, even when people are really struggling and really um, not able to, to provide enough food for their families, they think, well, I, I don't want to take benefits away from someone else who needs it more than I do. And the reality is um, this, there's not, um, there's not a limit to these benefits. Anyone who is eligible for a SNAP uh, will receive it. So it's not like if you're getting benefits, you're, those are not available for someone else. Um, anyone who qualifies um, can get those benefits. But I also think that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes there are logistical reasons why people can't or aren't able to participate, whether that's um, you know, not understanding the application process, or um, they're just not—they're um, just not able to, to navigate it. Um, whether it's a language barrier, I know agencies are are really um, trying to make sure that they bridge that gap as, as far as um, combining SNAP enrollment with other programs like WIC. So when a, if a family is enrolled in WIC, they come into their clinic for their appointment and they 
their WIC um, nutritionist will also talk to them about getting SNAP benefits. So those are some ways that they're trying to, to make sure that every family who is eligible um, gets benefits. Um, and I think it's especially, you know, important to remember that for IATP, um, that people, people who are on the program, uh, a lot, most of them, many of them are working and working right. really hard. And especially in a time, you know, when we're seeing historically low farm prices, mm -hmm. um, it's important to remember that this isn't about shame. This is about, <laughs> you know, making right. sure that, you know, you access what your tax dollars are paying for right. um, to some extent, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's, Let's talk about the farm bill because uh, uh, SNAP accounts for about 80% of the farm bill funding That's right. and mm -hmm. it was pretty contentious this year. So what happened? It sure was. So uh, I think that's another thing um, that many people don't realize is the farm bill, it, it really should be called a food bill because it's, it's, mostly, uh, it's mostly about these nutrition titles um, and programs like SNAP. So the, there was a lot of, you're right, there was a lot of contention around uh, the Farm Bill for a lot of reasons this year. Um, but the, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened um, with the SNAP program. So in the House, um, the, the House um, Ag Committee chairman introduced their version of the bill which was written completely without any democratic input. <clears throat> so right away, you know that it's, um, that's sort of uh, a red flag and um, people had some thoughts about that. But the, what they really wanted to do was strengthen, um, I think impose greater restrictions on SNAP benefits is, is a fair way to say it. So some of the things that the House version of the bill um, suggested were things like strengthening the work requirement. So contrary to some, some belief, um, there is already a work requirement to receive SNAP benefits. So 43% um, of SNAP participants live in a household where someone is working. Um, and those, in order to participate, you need to be, or the work requirement uh, applies to what are called able-bodied adults without dependents or ABODs, which is sort of a weird, uh, weird term, but it essentially that means it's a person between 18 and 49 who has no dependents or no children and is not disabled. So if you are an ABOD, in order to get SNAP benefits, you have to be employed at least 80 hours a month for no, and um, you can't be unemployed for more than three months in a three-year period. So really, I mean, it's, I don't think that's a flimsy requirement, um, but the House Republicans wanted to strengthen it so they would have uh, increased that age from 49 to 59, so people would have to work an extra 10 years. Um, they wanted to make it harder for states to issue a waiver. So um, People, for example, if you have a disability, um, you can get a waiver, so you are allowed to be unemployed for for longer than those three months. The House wanted to make it harder for for states to uh, to issue waivers, and in some cases, they would have um, they would have cut those waivers up to sixty percent. Uh, another change that was proposed was um, to have each state uh, establish its own 
uh, employment sort of training program. Now, this these exist in, in many states already, but um, the House version of the Farm Bill would have made it more incumbent upon the states to create um, a, kind of a, a complicated bureaucracy uh, to support job seekers um, and to make sure that people were either working or in an employment training program um, in order to receive their benefits. So those were just some of the changes that um, that people thought would almost surely uh, kick many participants off of the SNAP program. Yeah, I think the estimate was it could have been up to a million people. That's right. Um, and so the, uh, obviously the restrictions on receiving benefits were pretty unpopular, enough, mm -hmm. to, enough to tank the bill. Um, right. But uh, there, was, um, there was one good part of the nutrition title, yes. the, um, the, 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 the Food Insecurity Nutrition Incentives Program. Mm -hmm. um, Talk about what that was. Sure. So we were talking earlier about incentives. And um, really, this was kind of a bright spot in the House version of the Farm Bill because uh, it would have actually called for increased funding for the FINI program or the Food Insecurity Nutrition Incentives Program. So that program is a, um, is a competitive grant program. So states would be eligible to apply for funds. And um, it's very similar to what we were speaking of earlier, the, that matching program. So um, participants uh, would, in the SNAP program would have had their money doubled when um, at the point of sale when it comes to purchasing fresh fruits and vegetables. So if they were spending $5 of their SNAP benefits, they would have gotten an additional five um, to purchase fresh produce. And it was, it was, kind of amazing that they called for an increase in those funds. Um, I think in the 2014 Farm Bill, they had appropriated $100 million, and they called for it to be increased to $275 million over the next five years of the Farm Bill. Yeah, so hopefully that'll stay in whatever gets passed. And I kind of want to move to that um, to close up the podcast. Um, so obviously, the, the Farm Bill in the House died. Mm -hmm. um, we're still waiting to hear um, what's going to be in the Senate version of the Farm Bill. And of course, then the House may revote on this bill or it may introduce something else. We're really not quite sure. We're not quite sure if this is going to be an, uh, a bill that, you know, gets passed before the election or after the election. Right. Or like it may not get passed until after the election. Um, so what what is it that people should be, one, paying attention to and then, two, doing um, to advocate for a better farm bill? Sure. So I think um, the good news is that even before the House version died, there was, it was pretty widely acknowledged that it wasn't going to get very far in um, the Senate. The Senate has been clear from the beginning that they want a more bipartisan bill, which is uh, not what happened in the House. So the Senate has really been working uh, across the aisle um, to come up with a bill that is palatable for both Democrats and Republicans. So that's that's one piece of good news. And um, secondly, I think the Senate has a lot less interest in reforms to the SNAP program. So that's also good news. Like you mentioned earlier, SNAP works really, really well. It's a very successful uh, anti-hunger program with very little fraud. Um, and so I think that the Senate 
just really has no interest in um, fixing what, what isn't broken. Um, but that being said, people can still get involved, especially here in Minnesota. We're lucky because both of our senators, Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith, are members of the Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry, which is the committee in the Senate that uh, writes the Farm Bill. So uh, I think a great idea would be to get in touch with them. Um, there, are, I know Tina Smith is having a listening session uh, in the Twin Cities next week uh, related to the Farm Bill. So they're certainly looking for their constituents' views on this. Uh, and I think it's really important to let them know that, you know, SNAP works. It's important to getting nutritious foods on the tables of American families. And um, let's leave, leave, leave it alone and, and let it work. Um, so clearly, it's, we're going to need a lot of people to get involved if we want to see a fair farm bill. Right. And if you're looking to find out what other organizations are saying about the SNAP program and about the farm titles, I'd encourage you to go visit the website uh, betterfarmbill.org. Uh, again, that's betterfarmbill.org, and you can see the statements that everyone, have, everyone has made about the House Farm Bill. Uh, Katie, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. No problem, Josh. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Uh, for more on what you've heard today and to read Katie's blog on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. I want to thank Andrew Arisso for editing this podcast and let you know that it's available for download on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you like us, please give us a good rating. Thanks a lot and see you next time.